three, two, one. Heidi Ho, welcome to the Monday interview edition of the Dennis and Andy show. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a second. You're looking around. Where's the split screen? Where's Dennis? Is he hiding backstage? No, I'm flying solo tonight. Dennis and his lovely wife took a little week vacation and they're down in Florida. I believe he sent me a message last night. He's in Miami right now. They're going to be traveling up to Universal Studios so they can do Harry Potter because they're big Harry Potter fans. Or I should say his wife is a huge Harry Potter fan. But the show must go on. Uh, I say that, but I will say right now, uh, Wednesday, tentative for a show. And Friday, there definitely won't be one because Dennis will still be on vacation. And I'll actually be away as well. So... That's how it's looking. Like I said, I'll let you guys know about Wednesday. Uh, let's get into the show. The guest tonight is a pal of mine from the Kubert School, the Joe Kubert School. That's what it was called when we went to it. Now it's just shortened to the Kubert School. Uh, Tom Zoller. Tom Zoller is a self-made man. And what I mean by that is I'd say, and he can correct me on this, but I'll say 90% of what's out there by Tom is all his stuff. He owns it all. He owns all the rights. Uh, my favorite book that he's done is Love and Capes. And uh, he's also done some My Little Pony. So we'll have to ask Tom if that means he's officially a brony or not. Uh, Tom, hey, are you a brony? First question. Uh, no. Uh, I'm very careful about that because every time someone asks me if I'm a brony, I feel like it's in um, Inglorious Bastards where they order the drinks wrong and they show that they're not German. Oh, so yeah. I'm a big fan of My Little Pony, but I feel like Brony is a line that I don't want to say that I'm crossing because I think that there's a level of commitment that <clears throat> there's a level of respect that I, I don't want to intrude upon. Sure. So sure. besides, <laughs> once you once you see how the sausage is made, once once you make the books, like it's hard I'm I'm still a fan of it, but like I I get to control the puppet strings a little bit too. Like my my thumbs on the scale, uh, so yeah, that part's a little weird. And I'd say, by the way, uh, about seventy five percent of my stuff is creator owned because right. I have done in a lot of issues of My Little Pony. Okay, I did. I I know you've worked on it, but I could not. I think if you gave me a multiple choice, like Tom's done this many issues of My Little Pony, and it was A, B, C, or D for answers. I could probably get it, you know, but off the top of my head, uh, I I actually only thought you maybe did five or six. Yeah, I've done, I, I'm actually uh, putting together a script book of all my, my Little Pony scripts and other things that I've done, and I think I'm close to 20. Really? Yeah, I've been doing it for about five years. And they're all one shots though, right? Or are they in uh, Some of them are two and three part stories. Oh, okay. Um, I did a three part where the, the ponies all turn evil. And it's actually a deep reference to that Justice Society episode with the evil waters that turn, turns yeah. everybody evil. Yeah, I did that as a pony book. 
Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know. Well, there you go. See, you learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the first questions we always ask or around the first is what, what was, this is, this is a question I love asking people is what was the first comic book you ever bought? I, okay. That I bought or was bought for me. Um, Cause I don't, I don't really know the answer to either one. Um, well, what's the first comic I guess that you can remember from, you know, your childhood. The first comic I can remember is an issue of Superman. It's like 260 something. There's a guy with a super watch who's punching Superman through a brick wall. Um, and that one came out about the same time as the man who cries super wolf. And those are like the first comics I remember having in my collection, but I was reading from like an obscenely early age. My dad was Machiavellian and he taught me how to read like when I was two because he would get a phonics book and he would have me do phonics lessons, but he would only do three pages so that I'd keep wanting to do more. He's like, no, 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 we'll do more tomorrow. And so I was reading. Um, and then it was just a reward system to keep me a well-behaved kid. So, uh, yeah, those are the first two Superman books I got. And then the first book I was buying regularly was DC Comics Presents, the Superman team-up book. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I remember that. I still mm -hmm. have. I mean, I have, I have pretty much all the stuff I collected as a kid still. I'm sure yeah. I've gone through because I do a <laughs> yearly weed out. So I probably got rid of some stuff. But I, I'd say the majority of it I still have. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. So is that what got you? So is that was that the bug that, it was, that you were like, I want to do this for a living? Or where did that come from? It was part of it. Like, I don't remember ever wanting to do anything else. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah. And my dad had done a little bit of art. My aunt studied art. My grandpa painted signs for a while. So, like, art was always an option in my house. So it wasn't um, it wasn't like some families where you had to convince people that art was a real job. Um they all knew it was a hard job and hard to get, right. but it's like, um, did you guys ever like have the joke going around about Joe's other two sons? Cause two of his sons are artists and one, oh, yeah. as far as I remember was a plumber and one worked for a cable company. I was going to say, I remember was cable for yeah. sure. And I think you're right about the plumber. I'm not exact. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I want to say that's accurate. Yeah. And I, we just always had this vision of like the plumber kid going up to Joe saying, dad, I, I want to be a plumber. And his dad going, but have you, have you thought about drawing? Like that's a real job. Have you, have you thought about becoming a cartoonist? Um, so <laughs> see, I didn't have to know, have that conversation with my parents. Knowing Joe though, I could actually almost see that. And you know, realistically knowing Joe, I could actually see the opposite of that where Joe was like, look, this is a hard job. It, it's rewarding, but it's very hard. And then if the son was like, well, I want to be a plumber, I can almost see Joe because Joe is such a great businessman oh, yeah. going, mm -hmm. you'll always have work. Mm -hmm. yeah. You'll be a plumber, you'll get paid well, you'll never go a day without having work. Mm -hmm. Be a plumber. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm really sure he did. I mean, it was the joke that we had, but he was, I know he said that being a cartoonist is the kind of thing you had, you would do even if you weren't getting paid for it. Right. And I mean, that's a that's a level of passion for it that that not everybody has. And it's hard to maintain. So, yeah, I don't I don't think you would push anyone into being a cartoonist. It's a it's an awesome life, but it's not an easy life all the time. No. Well, it's funny, too, with Joe, because if I if I remember correctly, those two sons, the ones that, you know, aren't cartoonists whose names I don't even know, mm -hmm. they're, they're the older, you know, because in the, in the line of things. 
because there's a daughter as well. So right. I believe the daughter is still o- older than Adam. Okay. He's the baby. Okay. So I believe it's going from young to old. It's Andy, Adam. I want to say it's the daughter, but I'm not 100% sure. And then the other mm-hmm. two sons. And I don't okay. know which order those are in. But it's just funny to me that the two eldest sons, who you would kind of think, I mean, I don't know why. It just seems in my, the way my mind works. I think those would be the ones that would be like, yeah, I'm going to be the artist as well. Not skip, skip, skip these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, I think the oldest son wants, son wants to follow in his dad's footsteps. I mean, I, when I was a kid, as much as I wanted to be a cartoonist and I'd like, I never considered being anything else. I also, also thought I would work at the post office with my dad. Right. Um, but uh, I can also see like just as a parent loosening up on the, on the kids that come, um, you know, because it's, it's hard with the first and then they kind of blaze a trail oh, sure. and their grooves. So I could see that opening up to, you know, oh, we did pretty well with these three. So yeah, cartoon is probably fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So then when did you decide, when did you discover the Kubert school and go, that's it. That's where I'm going. Um, I probably discovered the Kubert school. I'm trying to think what, what comic would have had it, but back when they had letter columns. back in the (laughs) eighties. Well, back when they had letter columns, they would run the biographies of the artists and you know, they would, they would say who, who the writer was, who the artist was. And I started noticing a lot of people went to the school in in New Jersey called the Kubert school, or like you said, the Joe Kubert school of cartoon and graphic art. When we went there. That's the full Um, Yes. Uh, And I mean, I remember the ads in the late 80s, but I knew the school before then. And I know I, rem- I know I knew the school when Joe was drawing or the, um, the students were drawing Dynamite magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for a while he had a drawing column in there. But it, mm-hmm. it had to be one of the a couple of those, you know, biographies of artists. It must have been like Tom Mandrake or, or someone like that. I can't think of can't think of who else would have been earlier on in the in the process, but yeah, once I knew about that school, that was always top on my list. Um, it was kind of scary for my mom because uh, yeah. I was irritatingly smart and she thought I would go to like college or something. Um, <laughs> but we had a deal that if I got good grades, I could go wherever I wanted to school. And I'm like, here's my Phi Beta Kappa 4.0, all that stuff. I'm going to art school. There's no scholarships. I need oh, money. No. Um, yeah. So uh, it was it was a hard push at the beginning. She's my biggest fan now, which I... I try to make sure to say because um, it's it's super true. But there's, sure. you know, like going into cartooning, it's like saying that you're going to play in the NBA. Like there's a new crop of people who play in the NBA every year, but there aren't that many. Um, right. And there aren't that many who make a living at it. So, you know, it's I understand the reticence for making that the, the thing somebody's going to pursue. Yeah, I get that. I, so I saw the I saw the ad for the school. It was around 83 or 84 because I remember being a freshman in high school probably a senior in middle school actually going, this is where I'm going and just having mm-hmm. blinders on for, for just going there. My parents were very supportive. You know, I grew up in Maryland, so it wasn't, it was only four hours away. So for the interview process, they drove me, you know, we went because my parents wanted to see where they were sending sure. me, you know, mm-hmm. and I did too. You know, I could see maybe if I was on the West coast going, all right, let's do it over the phone. It'll be a surprise. But being so close, we drove up, you know, mm-hmm. all that. Um, I definitely see, I see what you're saying with, you know, like kind of like sports. It's, it is a yearly, it's like this new crop. But I think to me, 
instead of it being yearly, it almost seems like it's like every three or four. I mean, oh, yeah. I know there's people always wanting to get in every year, mm-hmm. but it seems when it seems the new crop in comic books seems to be almost the three to four, even five year, where it's like, oh, oh yeah, like it's group thing. Yeah, it's almost. it's definitely cyclical. Yeah, like you almost have to build up enough work working independently to get noticed by the big companies now. Right. Um, or like you've been pushing long enough to get noticed by the bigger companies or whatever. But I was, um, I was just making the point that I think there are jobs that parents don't want their kids oh, yeah. to go into at all because it, it was never, we don't think you can make it. It was, we think it's really tough to make it. And right. we're, we're, you know, it's, it's not a lack of faith. It's more like a fear of the reality. So. Right. Oh no, totally. I mean, you know, I'm sure you had kid, you had classmates in high school on the football team. I, I don't know if you played or not, but I did not. I w- my parents were afraid I was going to hurt other, the other kids with my powers. <laughs> my parents were just afraid I was going to get hurt. So <laughs> I've been th- I've been this height since I was like 15. So yeah, no, I, my parents I got noticed afraid. when I went to school, but I never played. Yeah, no, my parents were afraid I was just going to get hurt. So, um, and I didn't have interest in football anyhow. Mm-hmm. But you know, I. I knew lots of guys on the football team and they all had the aspirations of going to college to play football than going to the NFL. None of them did. Now I'm not saying none of them didn't play in college. Uh, mm-hmm. They might have, I honestly don't know if they did or not, but I know for a fact, none of them are in the NFL. So, you know, I get totally, well, it's like my daughter. She wants to, um, she graduates high school this year and she wants to try to get into sports casting like be a sports caster on, mm-hmm. on air. Sure. You know, that's another one. That's almost, I'd say as hard to do as what we do, mm-hmm. you know? Um, now, luckily over the past decade or so, there's a lot more female sports casters. So that's a good thing, but it's still competitive, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I'd say she probably has a leg up because she's a female, honestly, but at the same time, it's still very competitive. Sure. You know, absolutely. but I'm not, you know, her, uh, my wife and I aren't like, nope, pick something else. Mm-hmm. You know, the school she's going to, that's what she's going to go do and, you know, take classes in and, and whatnot. And, and, you know, like the Kubert school, the classes she's taking, there's other avenues as well for yeah. the stuff she'll learn. So it's not just that or nothing. But, you know, you know, as well as I did, we went to the Kubert school because we wanted to do comics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know when I went, I really had the blinders on to the point of blowing things off that I look back on and I go, man, I wish I didn't blow that off. Like, you know, we had, well, I shouldn't say we, I have Rowena as a, as a teacher. So did I. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally blew that class off, you know, and I really wish I didn't. And I really wish I, I would have paid more attention and kept utilizing the stuff she taught mm-hmm. because once again, back then it was like comics was like, well, if you want to do comics, you know, you either pencil, ink or color, but there's not, it was really just a burgeoning thing for painters, mm-hmm. you know? And then as the nineties went on, painting became more of a thing. And then even today, even though most of the work that painters do today's digital Look at Alex Ross. Mm-hmm. You know, look at Joe Jusco. You know, so it is one of those things where I dabble in it, 
I did a I did a painting last week. Nobody except Dennis has seen it, and he'll probably be the one that sees it because mm -hmm. I look at it and I'm like, that's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I took I took care. Well, I mean, we all took the same yeah. classes, but I took caricature class, and I remember thinking, I'm never going to use this. Yeah. Like, why do I, I? But I mean, I I did it. Like it was I had him, right. Jim yeah. Jim McQueenie, yeah. And yeah. I think some of it comes from like when I was in high school to get the grades that I needed so that I could go where I wanted to, I had to make sure to apply myself and even if I didn't think I was gonna need him. Um, so, but my first job out of art school was working in an amusement park doing caricatures. And that was that was a good chunk of my money for for the first uh, first like 10 years of my career. Cause I used to do private parties and you know company picnics and all that stuff. Oh, and it's that's nice cool. to- I could you still sit down today if you had to at a at like if could you still be hired for a caricature thing and still and snap back to doing it live oh, yeah. with the easel and stuff? Could you really? No question. Yeah, because I I do like one or two a year now. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I mean in COVID, obviously not. But um, right. and I used to like I used to love doing after proms. They were actually my favorite um, yeah. because uh, I just really like talking to kids when they're deciding what they want to do. You know, um, because since I always knew what I wanted to do, like, I don't understand anyone who doesn't pick the same thing I did. Right. So it's just, and, you know, the ones who are like, well, am I get a business degree? That wasn't interesting. So, you know, the kid who would say, I want to be a geologist. I'm like, why? That's so interesting. Like, nobody yeah. says geologist. Why are you picking geologists? Yeah. Um, you know, that was, that was really fascinating. But yeah, I, um, yeah, I still have my easel in my gear and I can, I can break it out when I need to. And it's, um, you know, it's. It's also like a fun trick at bars every once in a while. So, oh, sure. Yeah. I could never, and I assume, you know, from the training and stuff, when you do them, it's like you see at a park, you just whip out the Sharpie and go, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. I could never do that. So yeah, it's a, it's a process. Like yeah. I can, I can do face, face character. I mean, I can, I can do you looking at me. Um, yeah. But if you turn your head, I'm lost. Like I, I got to line you up in the target to be able to bust it out like that. Otherwise I right. can't do it. Yeah, but yeah. even... Um, a couple of years at San Diego, I did free caricatures um, to get people to sit down so that it would tell them about the book I was trying to sell. And it was um, it was really hard because San Diego is like four days and it's four days. Oh, yeah. Solid. Um, but I moved a lot of books and I got a lot of people to sit down. It's, you know, you just kind of work with what you got. And I know I can do caricatures. So. Oh, yeah. No, that's cool. That's real cool. No, I, you know, there are things I learned in that class that obviously can be applied mm -hmm. to comics and stuff when it comes to exaggeration and whatnot. Um, I've just never been good. I can draw a likeness, but you know, a likeness and a character are just two totally different things. Mm -hmm. You know, cause the characters, like it says, it's exaggeration and stuff. And, and it's really honing in on the person's, uh, the unique qualities of the person's face, you know, um, and some people, you know, in real life, you know how it is as an artist, you're always observing stuff and always observing people. And in real life, yeah, there are just people you look at and you're like, oh, that's it, you know, mm -hmm. and just yeah. see it. But like, honestly, with the two of us, I'm looking at you and there's nothing that really jumps out at me caricature wise. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, have, a, I have a classically bland Shatnerian face. There's, I mean, really, there's nothing, there's, it's not like a big jaw, it's not like mm -hmm. a super high forehead, you know, you're, everything's lined up pretty, you know, uh, 
properly, I guess you could say. Your eyes aren't tiny. <laughs> your nose mm -hmm. isn't huge. So it, it'd be tough. But um, what uh, – so when you, get, when you graduated the school, how did you get that gig at the amusement park? Um, they ran an ad in the newspaper. Uh, the and newspaper by me. Did you move back home? or? Yeah, I moved back to Ohio. Um, and there's an amusement park there called Geauga Lake. Um, and they advertised that they were looking for people to do caricatures. And th the way you get the job is you audition, which I didn't realize when I went there. Oh. So uh, I went and I auditioned. And what they don't tell you is at the end of the year, there's a big party for everybody. And they keep those caricatures and they bring them out. And they were so bad. Like, I don't understand oh, how anyone really? looked at it and said, yeah, we can make money off this guy. But I figured at one point that I drew 3,000 caricatures over the summer. And that gets you better than anything else. Like, oh, yeah. like so much between that. I mean, just, just how much when you're trying to get started in art, you keep asking people what you need to do to get better. And you don't like to hear practice right? Um, because you know to practice, but it doesn't mean you don't need to practice. And it's just amazing how much just keeping going gets you better. Yeah. Um, that, and I learned how to talk to people, which, you know, as a, you know, introverted artist is not always the easiest thing. Um, but I had to sell cause we were on straight commission. So I had to be able to work with people and get them to come in and sit down for caricatures and do the whole, whole spiel and talk to them so that they weren't distracted by the fact that I was staring at their face for five minutes. Um, and I got really good at that too, which has, I mean, that comes in handy. Like when you're sitting behind a table, oh, at, uh, conventions. Yeah. it's a carefully cultivated illusion, but yeah. yeah. What were those in color back then? Uh, some of them, uh, it was, we did black and white color, singles and doubles. Um, was the color actually, pastel or what was the color? They were the art sticks, the ones that were like yeah. the inside of the colored pencil. So they didn't smear, um, yeah, yeah. they didn't melt, which was good. Yeah. They're hard to find now. Um, and I don't do a ton of color stuff anymore. Um, cause it, it feels like people just want black and white. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how I used to do color live. Um, and yeah, I'd have a little Tupperware container full of it and just, you know, the tricks with the side and, you know, coloring with the side then coloring with the main part and yeah so after that what what was uh what was the trajectory for tom after that uh i went to work at a newspaper um as a graphic artist so doing paste up because uh, back when i started it was still like using a waxer and oh, yeah. lining up key lines and doing stuff by hand uh they eventually really? transitioned they computer. doing that in the 90s like because we're talking like what year was this uh, it would have been like 92, 93. Oh yeah. No, that makes sense. Never mind. Yeah. And the, the school that I went to wasn't the, uh, I'm sorry, the, um, uh, sorry. I was trying to brighten up my monitor and that didn't work as well as I had hoped. Um, the paper that I went to was like the Coon Plain dealer is the big yeah. paper in town and mine was the local one, the news Herald. Um, so they were a little behind but not a ton. And it was nice because I got to come in when they were starting to transition and figure out how to help them do things and kind of push them in different directions. Cause I would fill in for the, uh, the graphic artist every once in a while and do caricatures and things like that. And I, I started coloring on the computer before he did, like it was, oh, cool. it was still cutting like Ruby lith and Amber lith and doing the percentages. Oh yeah. And like, I, scanned it in and you know just in freehand made vector shapes to do all the colors but i like was able to push it that way um i worked a couple of years just in paste up with stupid hours like four in the morning to midnight but it was art um and it was like some sort of art 
career. And then I was their advertising artist for three or four years. Um, so I built ad layouts um, and then I filled in for the, their illustrator every once in a while. And eventually I went to an ad agency. Uh, and then I was there for better part of five years. Did that house. and uh, you mean? yeah, uh, yeah. It was a small advertising agency uh, in the suburbs near the suburbs where I live, um, which was nice because it was small enough where I got to do everything. So that's where I learned to build websites, and I did you know graphic design and illustration, but I also directed TV commercials and did uh, radio oh. spots and just learned about all that stuff. And all the while, like I got my first lettering job when I was at Cuber, uh, the last year I was there. Oh, so cool. I was always freelancing stuff as I went. And that was hand lettering back then too. So yep. what was that on? Uh, Hero Alliance, uh, Innovation Comics. Um, uh, my friend Bob Ingersoll was the writer and they needed a letterer and suggested me, but Bob also drops a lot of his friends' names and stories. So one of the stories I lettered, I'm also the judge. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. That's cool, yeah. That's another thing. My hand lettering's awful. So <laughs> yeah, that, I've taught myself I, how to use Illustrator, but I still don't know it enough to compete with like, you know, professionals, mm -hmm. <laughs> letterers that do it all the time. So it have to be dangerous. It, well, yeah. And a part of me doesn't want to, to do that because, you know, like I was saying, Steve Dutro, who, um, does I hire him to do all my lettering and stuff. That's what he does for a living, mm -hmm. you know, and I'd rather pay him because it's what he does for a living. than you know, fumble around it myself. Sure. Even if I took a month just, and I know if I just took a month and really worked on it in illustrator, I could do a great job. But mm -hmm. once again, I'd rather do something else for that month than pay him. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's the same with coloring. I know how to color in Photoshop and I've colored things of my own, but um, that, because it takes me longer to do, you know, what takes me six hours, I would assume, a, a you know, once again, somebody that colors all the time could probably do it in two. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, the coloring aspect of it, and this might be different if I use the flatter, just bores me. Now, once oh, again, yeah, by yeah. the time I do the flatting, it's so tedious. I just want to be done with it. So I, I keep telling myself I should just hire a flatter for one page mm -hmm. and see if I still feel that way after all I'm doing is the fun stuff. You know. Have you have you tried any of the flatting plugins that they have? No. Yeah, there's a there's a Photoshop flatting plugin that I use, um, and it. It gets you like 80% of the way there, but it, it's made me so much faster. When I was, uh, really? yeah, when I was working for Webtoon, I was churning out like, you know, five comic book pages a week. And I did that and that sped me up so, so much. I, I live on that thing. Yeah, but here's the, here's the question. I'm going to assume the plugin is probably for the latest couple versions of Photoshop. And I'm still using CS5, the last version before you subscribe to it. Oh, Okay, yeah, I'm I'm not sure because I I made I had to make the jump to Creative Suite in like 2003 when um I lettered a book for Marvel. It's the only thing I've ever done for Marvel. Uh, it's the only comic I've ever done for Marvel. Um, and that's what they had because I was working on their Epic line. Yeah. Um, you know where they, it was like um, 
they were essentially having freelance teams do books. Uh, I worked yeah. on Crimson Dynamo. Um, and to do it, I had to be on their software. But I also, I still teach from time to time. Um, I teach after school. Like I'm not, you know, like, we've had this conversation, but I don't have a degree. So I can't teach right. like during the day, but I can do after school classes and summer camps. Yeah. But that, that keeps my um, educational discount because I'm still a school employee. So yeah, it, so getting Creative Suite was actually kind of a deal at the time. Right. But what I'm saying is, are you on the one now where you you pay? Everything? Oh, yeah. I'm on the one where, where you subscribe. I don't remember. I know I know the plugin goes back, but I don't know how far back it goes. That's what I'm saying. Like the Creative Suite edition I have, which I'm pretty sure CS5 is literally mm -hmm. the year after that's when they went to right. subscription. And I just there I haven't really now granted this. this They've been doing a subscription thing for at least six or seven years now. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, let's just say it's been a decade. So I've been using the same one for a decade. So I haven't used the latest version of Photoshop to be able to go, Oh my God, look at all these cool things that I can't do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, I, I mean, I figured out the math cause I'd upgrade like every two or three years. Um, and the upgrade prices usually weren't horrible. They were a couple hundred bucks ish. Yeah, they weren't bad. Uh, yeah. But I use, Illustrator, Photoshop, Dreamweaver, um, InDesign. So I'm on a bunch of their programs. So being on the subscription really comes in handy there. And the last time I ran the numbers, being on the subscription is still pretty close, if not cheaper than the upgrade cycle I was on. Oh. So, and there's enough stuff that I work on where like I need to be able to open the latest Illustrator files when I get them. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's like if I were just generating comics for print i wouldn't need to be updated to a certain degree but right. you know because whatever you can do to make a pdf and get it to the printer it'd be fine but i need to um you know i'm dealing i still do a bunch of graphic design stuff and i just need to be able to work with the latest stuff yeah no it makes sense i mean i might look into it because i have a teacher's id <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's worth trying out I so like, do you use the program SketchUp or yeah, SketchUp the 3D? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Well, because what I was going to say is like, I just got 2021, and with my with my teacher ID, the what I pay for it is just. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, I yeah. I don't. I think I might still be using the free version because I just don't use it that much. But occasionally, like when I'm rotating a car. Or something, well, the thing is, there isn't a free version anymore. Oh, like, free okay. version. If there's a free version, it's literally web based. It's not desktop based. Okay. Okay. So if you're using something on a desktop, you can do that. But if, for instance, you went to the 3D warehouse mm -hmm. and was like, "Oh, I like this. I'm going to download it," you probably wouldn't be able to because it's not okay. won't match up. Okay. That's why for the past couple of years, I've just bought it. But like I said, you know, with the, with the, the teacher ID, um, the price is so much less. So I might actually have to look into the Photoshop or mm -hmm. Adobe Suite subscription just to see. Well, the funny thing is like, so I don't know if you use After Effects or not. Not really. Well, After Effects is video editing software. So I don't mm -hmm. use it either, but my daughter does because she also does video editing. Actually, the intro video to the program here, she made. For oh, me. okay, cool. So, and if you 
eagle eyes pay attention in the lower right hand corner says Courtney. She's like, I want to put my name on it. I'm like, go ahead. I don't care. Um, <laughs> and we paid her too. Cause I said, look, we'll pay you to do it. She's like, how much? And we're like this much. She's like, okay. So she made the intro for us and it's, okay. it's, it's after effects, which is an Adobe program. And when she first started using it, she's like, you know, Adobe stuff, come help me. And I'm like, I don't know. After <laughs> I looked at it and I'm just, and it's kind of like the first time you look at Photoshop, you're just like, uh, and that's what mm -hmm. I did. I'm looking at after effects. And I'm like, I don't know this at all. So I actually met somebody in San Diego two years ago that her day job was editing trailers together for a small studio in LA. Okay. So I actually had her, um, through Zoom, hook up with Courtney and teach her After Effects. Oh, cool! So that's how she and you know she's not she's not a professional by any means at After Effects, but she knows a hell of a lot more than you know. She's actually I think she's really good at it. Mm -hmm. You know how you were. She's she'll be eighteen. You know how you were. It didn't matter what you did. You were like I suck. I suck. <laughs> that's what she is. She's like I suck. Yeah. I don't know how to edit. And I'm looking at what she did. Kind of like my dad would look at, and my parents would look at what I did drawing wise and be like, no, you don't. That's really good. Mm -hmm. You know? So, um, and that's part of what she'll learn when she goes to school as well. So, yeah. anyway, so, so after the ad agency and, and all that, when did you first start getting, because when you first started in comics, it was, if I remember right, it was your stuff. Like when it came to drawing and everything. When it came That's to drawing, it. yes. I, I started, uh, the first thing I did was Raider, and that came out in 2002. That was the first thing I totally owned. Um, I was always doing lettering and inking. Right. I did that for like the first 10 years. Um, in 2001, in November, I went off on my own. Um, I, I always feel a little weird talking about this, but it's the true thing. Um, September 11th played into it a bit where right. like I just reassessed some things I, you know, and I don't want to make September 11th about me and my career right, course, um, but it was sure. enough of a kick to the head where I and the ad agency wasn't doing as well and it's, I was getting enough work lettering for Deadbeat or for Claypool then I said oh, I, I think I can do this um, and then yeah I went off in November and I didn't look back so Raider came out the first volume of that came out the next year at San Diego um, I did a couple more of those. Uh, it was a spectacular failure. Um, but I also, uh, learned a bunch of stuff in doing it. And that was the stuff that I applied to doing love and capes. And I think I, the first one of those came out in 2005. Right. Um, and yeah, and then love and capes got me my little pony. Um, and then, uh, eventually cemented my relationship with IDW so that I did time and vine and long distance there. Um, and then long distance is what got me noticed by Webtoon to do uh, warning label and Cupid's arrows. Oh, that's cool. Look, you got a fan right here. Look at oh, that. Cool. So good to see. Yeah. Um, no, you know, it, it's funny. It, it Everybody kind of needs, there's that little push and well, it's like with first man, you know, last year I did the jungle Lords ultra flipbook kickstarter and i did that because i mean all the work was pretty much done mm -hmm. all i had all i had to do on jungle lords was jungle lords was originally uh i think it was like a 13 page ash can that i did with the buddy right mm -hmm. we co-wrote it and stuff and then i drew everything and, and whatnot and ultra was something i did just for fun 
And it was, you know, a 14 page standalone story. And then I thought with Jungle Lords, I really want to finish it. And I did, we did actually break it down to like a four issue thing. I even talked to Dark Horse about it and stuff, but they passed, whatever. And I really wanted to get it out there. So I was like, well, what can I do to get it done? And I thought, you know what, I'll just go in and give this first 13 pages, nine or 10 more pages to finish it, finish the Mm -hmm. story at least. And I did the whole flip book thing and put it on Kickstarter and it did well. And then I was like, you know, I really want to finish First Man. And First Man, you know, it was a book that came out in 1997 and it was one issue and it said to be continued and it never was. And I always wanted to finish it. And I just said, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to write it out to finish it. And I ended up adding, you know, 30 some pages to it and, and whatnot. And, you know, Obviously, did that Indiegogo, which was successful. Mm-hmm. And by the way, everyone is on in demand. You can get it. <laughs> Link is in the description below on YouTube, uh, and the book will ship out immediately. I actually got a couple orders today, and they're both going out tomorrow. So, anyway, awesome. Enough about me. Um, so it, it is. It's just that for me to get back to it, it was an age thing. You know, it was like, man, I'm, you know, I'm fifty, and this is, you know. Really, like 15 years ago, sure, yeah. Huh? I said like 15 years ago, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Eric, Eric knows. See, he knows. Got it last week. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Um, so it was, though. It was, it was turning 50 and going, man, if I did one issue a year of First Man from 1997 when the first one came out to now, I'd have 24 issues, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just one issue a year. Yeah. You know, and then and then if you just go down the rabbit hole, you're like, what if I did two a year or three? And then it's just like, forget, I don't even want to think about it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't go back. You can't change anything. So just move forward. So it's like, you know, I got it out there. And now I'm going to start number two and, you know, just move on. And that's why, you know, with your love and capes and uh, the other ones you've done, I'm just like, this is, you know, it's it's really cool to see, you know, and your, your staple in San Diego. I mean, last year had to kill you with it being camp this year. Like, are you even, they, I know they announced they're doing it a smaller thing over right. Thanksgiving weekend. So is that something you're thinking about attending? Or you I don't, don't have to give an answer yet? Or what's yeah, I, I don't know. Um, because the smaller one does not count as the bigger one. So I am officially set for 2022 at, Mean oh, San so Diego. You won't lose. You won't yeah. lose anything. Yeah, they haven't put out a lot of the details, like how much tables cost or how big it's going to be, because it's going to be a smaller event or what hotels are. And it's right. Thanksgiving weekend, and that's kind of a factor too, because I don't like. I used to do Mid Ohio Con, my favorite show, but sure. it was a two day show when it was on Thanksgiving weekend. So Friday was your travel day. Right. Um, now Thursday is your travel day, and Thursday is Thanksgiving, and yeah. there wasn't a lot of holiday last year. And I'm kind of looking forward to that part. Yeah, so, it's weird. I, I, I'm really curious. Like, I, I can already tell you I'm not going. Okay. <laughs> but, um, and even still, even though I just go just to walk around, I, I'm not going. I could even fly out Friday. But it's Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Thanksgiving is like, when it comes to Thanksgiving and Christmas, I was, Christmas used to be my favorite. But now I really enjoy Thanksgiving a lot more. 
And it really is that, you know, Thursday, you know how it is as a, as a freelance artist. I, I don't know how you treat holidays and stuff, but the two days a year that I won't do anything and I won't even step foot into my office are Thanksgiving and Christmas. Okay. And if I can help it, it's the day after Thanksgiving as well. And then Saturday and Sunday, you know, so I, mm-hmm. I, I don't even want to think about going somewhere, you know, and, and yeah. I never even thought about what you said, which would be if the show's Friday, I'm going to assume that, it, you know, I like how they say it's a smaller show. Guys, you're literally cutting one day off. Oh, no, but I mean, physically, it's actually supposed to be a smaller show. Like it may well, not yeah, be the entire convention center, too. Yeah. But I can't imagine them starting Friday at 10 because they know Thanksgiving's a travel day, right? So, so okay, I so I see them doing Friday at like three or four. So people, you know, look, if somebody needs to fly in Thursday, they have to. But if somebody could be like, man, that's great. I can still have Thanksgiving and fly Friday morning. See, I, I think they will start early on, th- on Friday. Um, and that's because like flying from Ohio, I can either leave really early or really, I can either get in really early or really late. There's not right. like, I can't just show up at five o'clock. It's going to be, I'm getting right. there at 10 in the morning or I'm getting there at nine at night. And I think that's going to happen with a lot of people coming from the East coast. And I also think, um, and this is just my personal bias, uh, about California, but so many of them are transplants who don't like their families. I I just, from hanging out with a lot when I was out there, like a lot of the people didn't want to go back because they didn't like their family back home. Um, I think you've got a lot of people who do Friendsgiving and then they're all free on Friday to drive down in the morning to go do the show anyway. So but like the attendance is another thing that I'm worried about too, um, because there are two yeah, kinds of shows I have there. Yeah. Well, there's advertising shows and there's shows where I make money and sometimes they overlap, but you know, there, there are certain shows where if I don't turn a profit, I will not come back to it at San right. Diego. I'm happy to break even because I think it is a good place to be for all the networking and exposure that I get, but yeah. I, I got to break even. I got to come pretty close to that. And doing a three-day show in a different type of venue with a different type of audience, like, I don't know what those numbers are. And I'm not in the position where I can necessarily, depending on what it is, I may not be able to take that risk on a show that I haven't done before. Like, I I know about what I make at San Diego, but like a brand new show that's going to be that much of a traveling show. Yeah. Well, not only that, but like you said, you're, you're, if it's not counting towards anything and you're still locked in for next yeah. year, then who cares? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, I think it's yeah. going to be self-selecting. I think you're going to have a lot of, a lot of, you know, California, right. Washington state, Texas people there and it'll work. It'll be fine. And I don't like, I don't know what Comic-Con's uh, financial situation is, but you know, this is now the fourth show that they've skipped because they have the two wonder cons and then the yeah. two, two San Diego's. And like, I don't, I don't know what they do. Like, I don't know what they're, I don't know how much money they need to make. And I don't know how they make money when they're not doing shows. Well, that's so, just it because they're, they're nonprofit, right? So uh, the money they I make. I think so. I think they are still. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they were. So the money they make goes to paying employees and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, like, I don't know how many employees, like um, I'm sure you saw that um, heroes con is yeah. going to just wait till next year. But I know mm-hmm. like heroes con doesn't necessarily have a, convention staff that operates you know all year so for him to stop he just has to be able to keep his store going so he can bring the people in to run the show next year 
Um, but you know, San Diego has people that they employ year round and I, you know, they don't sell a lot of merchandise the way Reed does. They don't like, I don't, I'm surprised they're not charging for the online show. There are ways they could make that better if they did. Um, it wouldn't have to be a lot, but I, you know, I, I could think they should, you know, or get some sponsorship or something. Like it seems like there's some missed opportunities there sometimes, but I, I'm also not part of it. So I don't know what they've tried and didn't work. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. I, you know, the first show I'm doing again is South Carolina comic cons in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you do that or no? I, I usually do. I skip this year. Yeah. Um, because you know it's the whole COVID math thing, but I've got my first shot, and I will be vac- fully vaccinated by the beginning of May. Um, so my first show is going to be Pensacon, um, mm-hmm. because you know it's the I was the firewall for my parents for going out. Sure. So it was my pleasure to take care of them, but I was also like it's not so much that like the my risk exposure is pretty minimal if I went period, but I needed to right. wait for my parents to be set right. and yeah. you know, all that level. So now it's a lot easier for me to decide to do it. And I think, I mean, I think shows are still going to be safe or as safe as they can be. And it's also kind of self-selecting. Right. Like I'm not, you're not making anyone go to the show. So right. like everybody's making their own risk assessment when they show up. So yeah, once I'm, once I'm vaccinated, I'll feel a lot better. I had a pullout of, South Carolina when they asked about it, because I just like, I didn't know what that horizon looked like. Like I hadn't got my parents vaccinated. I hadn't got me vaccinated. Like nothing was, nothing was set. And I, especially, you know, I'm, I'm friends with those guys and I don't want to ask them to get a hotel and a table and then, you know, pull out two weeks before and say, Oh, I can't make it now. So I wanted to let them know way ahead of time. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only one I have. Yeah. Yeah. When's, when's the Pensacola one? I assume Pensacola, Pensacola is a uh, middle of May, uh, late May. Oh, okay. Um, but they've also got the, the Southern bonus where they can do a lot of stuff outside. So, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's That's not cool. like, it's not like winter in Ohio. All the space heaters <laughs> in the world is going to make a difference. Yeah. But you're done with snow in Ohio now, right? Uh, we just had snow last week, uh, just a little bit on April fool's day. Um, but yeah, you know, I honestly, I don't, like I don't mind snow anymore because um, I work from home. So like, it doesn't matter. Like there's, there's a world of difference between shoveling the drive when you want to and shoveling the drive when you have to get somewhere right. and when you don't need to, uh, it's just, sure. it's just kind of fun. And like, I have more trouble in the summer because when it's snowy, there's no part of me that wants to go outside. So I'm much more productive as opposed to like when it's a bright, sunny day and my, you know, my studio's all windows and it looks great. And I can hear my convertible calling stuff come on, let's get a slushy. Um, so it's a little harder to stay focused. <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, back to the, back to the work stuff. Uh, you've also written for uh, animation, right? I have done, I've done two scripts so far. Uh, I did an episode of Spider-Man, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man uh, Contest of Champions. And I did one episode of Saint Seiya, The Knights of the Zodiac on Netflix. Ooh, I assume that's a cartoon as well. Yes. Yeah, it's based on the uh, uh, anime, uh, Saint Seiya. Um, oh, cool. Now, how long ago was that one? You know, that's weird. Um, I wrote the script in 16 for that one, and it aired in 18. Oh, wow. Um, maybe 19. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird, like, how far out things were. Like, I, I wrote the Spider-Man script in... 
2013, I think, and it didn't yeah. air until 15. Um, oh, wow. And I think it aired 15 overseas and then domestically in 16. It was just weird um, right. or something like that. But yeah, it's, you know, you know, cause we're used to doing comics. And I'm going to make a comic that'll come out next month. And yeah. you know, I'm going to write a script that will be done in two years. And you didn't know that going in, right? Uh, well, I mean, I knew the, I knew the process, but um, a lot of the networks are very weird about um, scheduling. So like, they won't necessarily tell you when something's going to come out. They'll, right. they'll move those schedules around. They'll decide, Oh, we're going to hold the last four episodes back until we don't know when. Um, so yeah, I'd like to do more. Uh, it's a little hard. I, like I'm hoping it gets easier with COVID because why do I have to be in LA? Cause nobody's coming into anywhere. Um, but that it's one of the things I miss about San Diego is I would go to the writers guild dinner and that kind of stuff to remind people that I'm out here and I can do stuff. Um, and I haven't been able to be in front of as many people, but it's a, it's a, it's a pretty sweet gig. I, I like doing it. So you're a member of the writers guild then I think. Oh, no, no, I haven't, oh. I haven't written enough to do it, but there is a writer's oh. guild dinner, um, oh. or the writer's guild, like networking event that happens where all the animation writers go. Oh, um, that's cool. so yeah. That's uh, that's how I got Greg Weissman to write the intro to uh, Love and Capes Volume Four because I met him there and he liked Love and Capes and we hit it off and yeah, we've been friends ever since. So oh, that's cool. So then, what are you doing now? Uh, so the big thing I'm doing is uh, Love and Capes on Patreon. Um, oh, are you? So I, oh, I yeah, I started that. Patreon uh, because uh, the world's on fire and I wasn't getting a lot of work. Um, so what I'm doing is a page a week. For Love and Capes, it's called Love and Capes in the Time of COVID. Mm -hmm. I've started referring to it online as Love and Capes in the Time because if you use the word COVID, you get flagged weirdly. Um, and I think oh, it really? presses the hit sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, but it's basically, uh, I said it six months ago and uh, like the way Aaron Sorkin wrote the newsroom and the characters are dealing with COVID because I, I figured out how to make it work and I figured out how I can get out of it if I need to. Um, but, you know, Abby's a small businesswoman running a bookstore and I can write, mm -hmm. I can write volumes on that. And, you know, just, you know, Mark having to wear a mask when he doesn't want to because he's invulnerable and thinks people should know that. And just like all the like the, all the universal experiences that happen from it. You know, Mark gets uh, really upset when his parents like go to church after the lockdown happens, because, you know, when lockdowns happened, like they happened slowly. And like there were still those couple days where you knew things were bad, but they weren't officially bad. Right. You know, and he's like, geez, I'm, I'm the one who's invulnerable, not you. You're not supposed to be doing that. Um, just stuff like that. Or, you know, jokes about filing for uh, small business assistance. Cause I did that too. I did um, that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, one of the things that happens is that Abby applies on a loan. The first time she does it, it disappears before she can get it. So the second time she does, she gets it. And then two weeks later, she gets an email saying, we've denied you for your loan. And she's like, yes, but you've given me the money. So does that mean you didn't give me the money? And if that's true, does that mean I don't have to pay it back? Um, and then they call assistance like I did when that happened to me. And uh, the, you know, because you don't want anything bad to happen. I don't want anything out of sorts dealing with the IRS and the government oh, or no, whatever. No. Yeah. And I, I called to try to get this resolved because um, there was an email and the email kept bouncing back with an email that says, we, you can email us with questions here. And I would email, I got a same email back saying I could email with questions. Um, so I called and it said, you are number 1,246 in the queue. I'm like, no, you can come no get the money. Way. back." So yes. 
So uh, eventually uh, they got one of the emails and everything was resolved and everything's good now. But uh, yeah, that's so I'm I'm ripping for my own life to, to do this stuff. But I, there's so many universal things that people have gone through with COVID, oh. you know, um, just like, you know, learning to cook a lot of us have or, you know, not being able to see people or living on Zoom or everything that goes on that um, it just it was cathartic for me to do. And it like it made sense bite size. When I first did it, I didn't intend for it to necessarily be canon. It was just something to do, but it's actually working out so well that this will be the, it'll wind up being about 48 pages when it's done, I think. Oh, cool. um, and it'll be the first book I have. It, it'll be the first couple chapters of whatever the six Levin Capes trade is, but it'll also be, um, I'll put it out as a print book, which will, you know, if conventions come back in the middle of the year, it means I'll have a new product out too. That's cool. How long has the Patreon been going for? Uh, six months. Um, I started oh, wow. back in November. Yeah. Um, if you go, let's see. Um, if you go to Tonzi.com, there's a there's a link to go to the end of time of COVID. So what I'm doing is kind of what I did with Loving Capes in the old days is the um, the old stuff is free. So you can read comics from up till three months ago for free on my website. And there's a link that'll take you to Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Tom Zoller, T-H-O-M-Z-A-H-L-E-R. Um, and like, if you like it, you can sign up for Patreon and then you can get the three months that have happened in between. And then you get, um, depending on what level you're at, you get a, a page every week or you get a page in the, you get the roughs and the backstory behind it. I do sketches of the week and make early access available to the patrons and, you know, take requests from the audience, essentially. Um, I'll put oh, up cool. like lost stories every once in a while. So I put up the, like the up pitch that I wrote years ago. Um, I, I, uh, IDW had me pitch on doing a Transformers Top Gun story at one point. So, which uh, will sadly never happen, but I was super proud to do that job and, and happy with how it came out. So uh, I put some of that up there too. You doing anything for them now or no? Uh, I'm still doing Pony. As a matter of fact, oh, uh, just before I logged on to you, I got uh, the, the proof for the next issue that I'm doing. Um, uh, for I'm doing a Pinkie Pie cheese sandwich story. Um, you draw all that so, stuff too, right? Um, no, I draw covers. Um, I drew one issue. Um, oh, staying really? on model and doing license is not my forte, but I can write it just fine. So yeah, and it's it's better. I'd rather draw my own stuff and then write for other people. Um, so are I still... Really, are they really hardcore about the way they look, the license? <clears throat> um, they're not hardcore. Hasbro is actually super awesome about it, but... Uh, I was under the gun on the first issue and there's a lot of, there wasn't, when I got on pony, there was not all the pony stuff in the world. Like I basically had Andy Price's first issue to reference off of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like my brain just wasn't processing it. I, like since that time, I, like I do covers all the time and those are fine. Um, but I don't necessarily want to get to the grind of doing an entire issue of that. Cause it, I don't know, it just feels constrained. Like I can, I can write a lot of stuff. I can only draw so much stuff and I'd rather draw my stuff. So right. it just kind of works out. Sure, sure. And drawing wise, you're all digital, right? Uh, it depends. Um, for the most part, I'm digital. Uh, I'll make sure to do uh, real covers, especially for the pony stuff, because I know I can resell it. Oh, okay. um, yeah, but for the most part, I'm, I'm digital on that stuff. Yeah. That's but I, I still like do commissions and stuff by hand because oh, I don't yeah, want to, yeah. you know, I don't want to lose that skill. And, you know, right. like doing conventions, I can't bring my iPad and print stuff out. So I mean, can bring my iPad, but you can't. So are you working on an iPad for when you're doing drawings? I will start off on the iPad a lot 
and then I will export it to my um, main computer. And I have a Clip Studio. I live in Clip Studio in a yeah, city, yeah. Mm -hmm. and I use that to draw it, and then export it to Photoshop to color it. Yep. Yep. No, so. I draw. It's kind of the same. I've got an iPad just for portability if I want to sit inside the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like right in front of me, like the light that's uh, lighting me up is my Cintiq. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, and then I'll draw on that and take it to Photoshop. And I do all the inking by hand though. So, okay. Yeah. So all the drawing then, is digital and all the inking is print out mm -hmm. blue on the mm -hmm. by 17. And so I like having original art still. Me too. You know? Yeah. I still and love I like, yeah. I still like, I like cheating every once in a while. So like some of my backgrounds print out in black when I do an original. Right. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. if I do Captain America, I'm not drawing that sheet. I'm not drawing the ellipses on that shield. No, no. no. Um, so uh, yeah, I'll do stuff like that. Or you can, you know, do the cool things where the text is in with uh, the drawing in a way that you wouldn't necessarily do if you're doing it by hand. Right. But yeah, it's just the right tool for the right job. Oh yeah. Speak going back to the Kubert school, you've been back there since they basically chopped off the back of it. I did. I went once after a New York Comic Con. It was it was the closest I'll get to go go into a mirror universe because I remember <laughs> rounding the hall to go to where my classroom was, and there was a wall. <laughs> you round the hall and you're almost bumping through the wall, like yeah. I like, heard hey. what they did. Yeah, you know, I I heard what they did. You know, three or four years before they did it, because I think I visited there in 2016. Okay. Yeah. And um, in the I think it was the fall of 20. Yeah, wait. Yeah, it was around, I want to say it was November of 2016. Anyhow, but I was under the impression that you, you know, you go in, you go to either side like you used to, you'd round the hall, and there were still like at least 30 feet, mm -hmm. not round the hall, and it's like eight feet, and there's a wall. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, my God. And then just how, you know, you you walk into the what used to be the auditorium, and of course now it's just like a conference room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean I could not believe how much they ch they chopped like two thirds of the back off. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was just and that. There, yeah, and there's stuff that there's stuff that like intellectually I miss. Like I don't know how much they were using it, but I like the I like the auditorium. That was good when we had people come in, and I yeah like, we didn't use it that much. But I, there was one teacher who taught human figure in the gym. Oh really? Yeah, uh, I think his name was Lyman Daly. Uh, I didn't have him, him, but other people did. Um, yeah, I didn't have and him. And he would, yeah, and he would give exercises that would make you work the muscle that you were drawing that day. I'm like, wow, that sounds really cool. Um, oh, really? That's way cool. Yeah, I had Ben Ruiz, so I was yeah, just so yeah, I. I was yeah, slug. Ben ben too. Well, yeah, because you were, you were a year behind me, right? I think a year behind you, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So yeah, I had Ben as well. I mean, we all we had basically the same teachers. So well, I, yeah, okay, I, I so, love the gym. Yeah, there there was a weird thing that happened with me, and I've I've never been able to get this confirmed, but our we would have two classes a day, mm -hmm. and there were five class there were five classes in my group. There was one A, one B, one C, one D. Yeah, one yeah, e. yeah, that's, yeah. There, yeah, mine too. So what happened was one E got all the weird teachers. So like High Eisman taught lettering Monday to 1A and 1B and Tuesday to 1C and 1D, and then he was off. So I had Hal Campania for lettering. Oh, I so never. I, yeah, Whew. so I, I missed out on a lot of like the classic teachers. Um, I, yeah, I never had Jose Delbo. I never learned how to draw horses. It would have helped out my had, pony. But Jose was there? 
Jose was there, but he taught 1A through 1D. And we had like random teacher who taught 1E. And I'm, I'm convinced they just did it alphabetically. Because one, one A was the back of the school. Right, right. Yeah, because I was in one A. Because I was mm -hmm. in the very last class. Sure. At the part they chopped off. And I had Jose and I had, I had Hyde. But I honestly yeah. don't remember if the students in one E didn't at that time. Yeah. I mean, this was um, 88 to, to 89 mm -hmm. school year. So I actually, I have no idea if they did that or not. But I, yeah, you know. we were we were sectioned out alphabetically, so all the kids in one E were letters between S and Z. Yeah, um, yeah. Wait, so no, I, we weren't because okay. I S obviously, and I was in right. one of those, Smith. Yeah. So. so yeah, that's how they did it. I mean, like I eventually, I never had Jose. I had High, but I had High for like basic drawing or composition or something. My second year, and I had Irwin. I think I had Irwin. I had Irwin two years. Um, but yeah, like it felt like we just got random teachers, but it, it's funny to me too, because I was such a good lettering teacher and the person out of my class who went into lettering was the guy who didn't have high. Who was it? Me, me. I had oh, Hal, you. Oh, you. Yeah, yeah, I had, I had Hal Campania who worked on uh, Bring How was he as a lettering teacher. I thought he was good. Um, I, like I did calligraphy as a kid, so I had yeah. a natural oh. predilection to it. Um, I don't know. It, like he was just the nicest guy, um, yeah. and he, you know, he had a funny like '50s way of talking. Um, sure. But uh, you know, he wasn't he wasn't quite as militant as high uh, for, you know, necessarily using the tools. Like with, I was got the in, impression that high was particularly precise, and I yeah. don't know that Hal was, but I could yeah. make up a difference on my own on that. Yeah, that's cool. So lastly, what do you, uh, because you have so much for your own stuff, you should be getting into the NFT market, my man. <laughs> I mean, okay, seriously, so, you literally have, uh -huh. if I had as much creator owned stuff as you did, I would so be looking into that. <laughs> so I am looking into it, but I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. So like there, there's a couple different things and I'm very conscious of like how I keep my public profile yeah um because i know there's a lot of there's a lot of backlash with nfts and i i haven't looked into it all the way like i know there's a power consumption thing but i feel like that's finite like like my new m1 mac can last for like it feels like days without being charged in a way that my old one couldn't so computers are going to get more efficient some of that's going to get washed out and i think some of it is going to be people are going to do that period right. um so like, I don't want to, I don't want to be totally behind the curve on it. Um, I don't know how much of a fan base I have for the NFTs. Um, but like some of the, um, like some of the legalities are weird. Like I can't tell, I, I think they're still figuring out, are the NFTs original art or are they licensed art? You know, like Jose um, made right. a boatload drawn Wonder Woman and I don't think yeah. he went through DC, no. but if it's original art, it doesn't like, at a convention as, as I understand it, you know, with, with, you know, my legal degree coming from watching lots of episodes of suits and Boston legal. Exactly. Um, you can hire me to draw anything. We can't necessarily publish it. Right. I can't print multiple copies. Of, you know, if I do a drawing of Superman for you, that's right. fine. If I try to print lots of copies of that, that's the problem. Right. So like if I do an NFT that only exists as one thing, 
like, is that is that considered original art or is that considered publishing? Well, um, see, that's where I'm curious too, because, you know, DC sent this letter out to every, you know, all these free, and I didn't get it, which mm -hmm. cracked me up. And I haven't worked for DC in seven years, I think, but okay. I thought I still would have got it because you'd think they want to cover their bases, mm -hmm. you know? Because, yeah. you know, the way my brain works is even though I saw the letter, because I had a friend of mine sent it to me and then it was published online, mm -hmm. even though I saw it, I'd still be like, you never sent me a damn thing. Mm -hmm. so I'm doing whatever I want. Screw you. Yeah. You didn't think of me high enough as a guy who's worked for you for how many years to yeah. send me the freelance. But anyhow, my yeah. point is this. What are you going to do? Continue to not hire me? Right. My point is this, they send their, this was a conversation I was having with somebody is they send their original art back, right? So you mm -hmm. get your art returns, right? Yep. Because they're not paying for the art, they're paying you to do the work and for the print rights. Right. So if I get my original art back of a cover and I don't sell my stuff, and it wouldn't matter if I did, if I had a nice, even if I sold my stuff, if I have a nice full color, clean scan of that original piece of art, and I'm able to sell it as an NFT one-off mm -hmm. and that's it. Why is that any different from me selling the physical piece of art to you? Yeah. Cause it's I one am. thing and you're mm -hmm. the only person that can own that cover. Well, yeah. now this is the only person that can own the digital type of that cover. Why should right. DC have any say in that? Mm -hmm. Is how no, I'm, I'm Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like that seems where it comes down for me. I think it's a bold new world. So I, yeah. I'd rather somebody else test some of that stuff out. And I don't, like, I know that I wouldn't buy an NFT, but I get the appeal of like cryptocurrency stuff. And I get, you know, like I understand how the blockchain, well, I conceptually kind of understand how blockchain right. works. So like I get how, I get how it's unique compared to other things and it has the value that people assign to it. But also, you know, you know, when you see what happened with Jose, you're like, mm, I really need to look into that. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm checking it out. I just haven't, I haven't found out any answers yet. I mean, no, the only thing I say when you say, you know, you don't know how many fans you have out there for your stuff is, I think the difference with the NFT market is, and because your stuff, yeah, I mean, Love and Capes isn't as known as Superman, but your, your style and your stuff is so unique. And because NFTs play to a certain type of uh, person or a certain group of people, whatever you want to call it, they might look at it as like, a, you know, just almost in a fine art sense. Yeah. You know? that's, so they that's might look possible. at your stuff and be like, oh, this is such a cool, unique piece, especially because, because it is a digital thing. You could take, you know, a piece that you did and just do a slight animation to it, mm -hmm. you know, because it's digital, so you can do that. And they have that one piece with this slight animation. So if somebody came over, because you got to figure people that can show out that kind of money for stuff are the people that would have, say, in their, whereas in our in our living rooms and family rooms, the only digital screen we have is our TV, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. You can see people that that can afford to have digital displays, like four or five, hanging up in their you know throughout their house just mm -hmm. like we have pictures hanging up except theirs are digital and on a loop it's just that one nft they bought 
Mm -hmm. And that's the art that yeah. they have on display. It's digital art that they have on display. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's where I can kind of see it. Like, I'd never buy one because honestly, you know, the only screens I have are the computer screens and my TVs. And it would just be sitting on a hard drive. And it's like, yeah, yeah I own this. It's well, yeah. honestly, it's like the original art that I do own because I do collect other artists' work. But besides the few things I have hanging up in my office, 80% of the art that I collect is in a portfolio in my closet. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I, I pull it out once or twice a year to look at or show friends and it mm -hmm. goes back in a portfolio in my closet. <laughs> yeah. My, my portfolio is uh, in my, uh, in my library. I've got lots of, lots of books set up so I can get at it, but yeah, it's not out to be seen. There's only so much wall space I have. Right. So that's how, you know, if I ever bought an NFT, it'd be the same thing. It's like, Oh yeah, I got one. Oh, you want to see it? Come here. There it is. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't have to necessarily understand the appeal of something to participate in it. Oh yeah. Like, no, I, totally. I think there, I think it just is a creator or a business person. It's really easy to say, I don't understand this. So I don't want to participate in it. Right. And like, if I had said that, I wouldn't be working on my little pony. So right. I, you know, I, I try to go where the people are too. Oh Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you kind of have to, you know, you got to change with the times and stuff. I had, I had a couple of people contact me about the whole NFT thing, two different companies, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And then I got an email. <clears throat> they contacted me through LinkedIn and they, you know, I sent them a couple images that weren't copyrighted, you know, it was just it wasn't even comic book stuff, but it was some stuff I did on the side for fun. And they're like, Oh, that's really cool. Whatever. And I got an email from, I'm assuming it's one of them, from somebody else at that company. And it just kind of laid out like these different steps or whatever. And there was stuff in it I'm, I'm reading like, this seems like work that I need to do. And I see nothing in here about you paying me to do this work, mm -hmm. right? So I emailed, you know, I replied to the email saying, hey, thanks. You know, uh, I do have a couple questions for you. And I laid out all the questions. It's like five or six questions. Never got a reply. And I'm just like, man, it's so crazy. Because literally there were things, and it, this was dealing with first man stuff related. And one of the questions was, and I'm, I'm really breaking it down to a basic, but basically they, they said, and with first man, we'd like blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, that seems, I'm thinking to myself, that seems like all new stuff I'd have to create for you, which unless you pay me, I'm not going to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why would I do that? You know? And so I basically wrote back and said what I just said. I said, this, correct me if I'm wrong, but this seems like things you want me to create. And I said, I don't have a problem creating it, but you're going to have to pay me to create it. Because what? why would I create this for you guys for nothing? Yeah, it's the it's the risk reward thing. Like yeah. how much effort is it going to be to create a thing based on what, you know, I mean, that, it's my general thought with advertising. If it doesn't cost me a lot of money, I don't have a problem doing it, but right. if it, it's going to cost me a lot of money or time. I get a lot more selective about it. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's just it. If they were yeah. like, if, if the email was more along the lines of, can you supply us with some of these first, some first man images you think are cool that we can use to promote you? Sure, that doesn't cost me anything because mm -hmm. there's no. It, it cost me the half hour time to go through first man. Right. Saying, yeah, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. But to create something from scratch, yeah, that takes a lot of time. Yeah, 
<laughs> and it's the kind of thing like depending on how much what my workload is maybe i could do one but i wouldn't necessarily do a bunch and it's figuring that out um I like exactly. the I like the ceiling space. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, ceiling space. Yeah, I don't. I'd be too afraid that no matter what I use to attach the stuff to the ceiling, it would fall. Yeah, I don't even like it's. You know, I've hung ceiling fans and all that crap before. But one of the reasons I don't like doing it isn't because I don't know how. It's because if it were to fall, my wife would be bitching at me so hard it's not <laughs> even funny. Whereas if I pay somebody fifty bucks or whatever it costs to hang it, mm -hmm. if it falls, they're getting a phone call. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. so. Well, hey, we are up one to an hour and 12, so we are going to call it. Uh, Tom, I thank you for your time. Oh, thank you so much. This was so much fun. No, uh, tell everybody where you can be found so they All can right. find you. You can find me at Tom Zoller, T-H-O-M-Z-A-H-L-E-R on Twitter and Instagram, uh, patreon.com slash Tom Zoller. And TomZ.com, T-H-O-M-Z, that's T-H-O-M-Z.com, as I drop my AirPods on the floor. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, any of those places will hit me, and usually they all link back to everything else. So the main website will take you everywhere. Uh, buy books or commission artwork or check out the free comics or whatever. There you go. And for me, you guys know where to find me. First Man is on In Demand, so if you haven't got it yet, uh, go get yourself one, and I'll put it in the mail tomorrow. Uh, they're all in-house, and all the fulfillment for everybody that backed it has been done. So all orders going out now are new ones. Excellent. So there you go. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. And like I said, uh, Wednesday right now – oh, my phone. Wednesday right <laughs> now is up in the air if I'm doing a show or not since Dennis is out, and we're leaving Wednesday because my kid's on spring break to take a little trip. So I don't know. I might be here Wednesday. If not, we'll be back next Monday night with uh, interview and Dennis will be back. I'll be here and our guest will be Don Shen, who does parody books. His latest one, which is on In Demand on Indiegogo, is X-Farce. And he's now doing Beard Zerker based on the Berserker book by Keanu Reeves. So that's our guest next week. Uh, thanks, awesome. everybody, for joining us. And we will see you guys then. Bye, everybody. Right. See ya.